morning, Goldendale, and hello to all of my fellow liberty-loving Americans all across the fruited plains from sea to shining sea. This is the host who loves you the most, Luke Throop here for another fine, fabulous, fantastic, philosophical sort of Friday, friends. Torch Report 364, Engineering Human Consciousness. Today we'll be kind of loosely connecting the dots between spirituality and transhumanism and modern politics, and I just want to state at the onset, it will be a bit of a philosophical romp. I had intended to, uh, you know, tie this all together with someone, you know, kind of do the the fast foray through the, the headlines on Friday, but I just wanted to go a little bit deeper today. I didn't feel like there was anything really pressing in the news uh, that was, that was you know, worth giving attention to. And so just opening up with the quote, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Power. Now, I'm sure you've heard that before. It's a common phrase. Uh, it, it goes back. It's used throughout history. In, in 1817, Thomas Jefferson wrote that politicians and the public in general, you know, the, but politicians specifically, he was talking about legislators. They do not generally possess enough information to perceive the vitally important truths that knowledge is power that knowledge is safety and that knowledge is happiness, end quote. You know, that knowledge is power, knowledge is safety, and knowledge is happiness. That comes from Thomas Jefferson. And he repeated this truth often in his correspondence. And he later added, you know, that knowledge is power and that ignorance is weakness. Now, I like to really, you know, chew on things or ruminate a little bit, let it simmer on the back burner. And so it's it's in this spirit that you know, knowledge is power that I want to attempt to share with you what I've been contemplating, what I've been learning on my own lifelong quest to gain knowledge, to grapple with the facts and reconcile my personal perspectives to reality. Now, friends, I am, of course, just an ignorant peasant, so please don't lose sight of that. But I am of the belief, personally, that there must be some measurable objective metric okay, or maybe an objective measurable metric by which we can discern the accuracy of our thoughts and perceptions. Okay. In my personal experience, I don't know, maybe you can relate, you know, but, but thoughts and feelings and beliefs, they're kind of just fickle and fleeting. They're flexible and malleable and they're forever shape-shifting to accommodate the input of lived experience. In other words, you know, I can convince myself of anything. I think that we all can. That's part of being a human being. And sometimes we really believe that we're right and then we find out that we're wrong, for example. Or I feel really strongly about this and then the feelings change. Or, or I think this way, but then later I think that. And I believe that it's not possible to comprehend life from a fixed point of view. If you think about everything's constantly changing around us all the time, if we were rigid in our mind and unbending and unwavering, that you know, then we we lose our curiosity, we lose our ability to to learn and to grow and to gain greater uh, perspective, great uh, maybe in scope of perspective, but also to gain greater degrees of accuracy in our thinking, in our perception. So all that said, friends, I do believe there is immutable, unwavering truth 
True, it's impossible to comprehend life from a fixed point of view, but there is immutable, unwavering truth. You might think about the laws of physics, for example, uh, the speed of light, thermodynamics, that kind of stuff. But for the sake of brevity, I want to label this quote-unquote absolute truth uh, as natural reality. Well, let's call it natural reality, capital N, capital R. This is reality, the bedrock of reality. This is the reality that exists outside of the mind, wholly independent of humanity, entirely impervious to our personal interpretations. You know, the dinosaurs, they had to deal with natural reality. And much as the dinosaurs had to deal with natural reality, we as human beings must deal with natural reality, natural reality, unless we want to go the way of the dinosaurs. Now, to the extent that our thoughts and our feelings and our beliefs reconcile with natural reality via logic and the laws of physics and mathematics and you know honest evaluation and all that then our perception is accurate okay our thoughts and our feelings and our beliefs are accurate when they reconcile to natural reality now when our thinking and our feeling and our believing are in conflict with the truths that are embedded in and revealed by natural reality then we've become lost in the mental mirage. We're lost in the illusions, the house of mirrors that is the human mind. Now, you may be wondering what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> Luke, what the hell are you talking about? You know, why are you bringing this up when there's so much exciting political theater to cover? What about the, you know, the invasion on the southern border? What about the Biden crime syndicate? What about Trump trouncing CNN and, you know, the meltdown continues and all that? Why are we talking about that, friends? It may seem like I'm splitting hairs here, but it's because I believe that the statement knowledge is power is sorely misunderstood. Okay, It's taken for granted that we know what we're talking Knowledge is power. Oh, yeah, of course, knowledge is power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. It's not that simple, friends. The idea that knowledge is power is often associated with the assumption that the more you know, the more powerful you become. You know, the more news you know, the more powerful you become, the more knowledge you have, the more powerful you become. And thus, by acquiring a great deal of knowledge, one is capable of becoming increasingly powerful, an increasingly powerful peasant relative to the ignorant masses. Now, I must admit there is a thin shred, a very flimsy truth embedded in that assumption that the more knowledge you acquire, the more power you acquire. It is true in the sense that by gaining a vast amount of knowledge, the ego may then dazzle the masses and perceive itself as powerful. But this is not real power, friends, nor is it necessarily accurate knowledge. You know, gaining this knowledge doesn't necessarily mean that it is true knowledge, and feeling powerful doesn't necessarily mean that you have real power. So when, when Thomas Jefferson, who I consider to be an exceedingly wise person, talks about knowledge is power, knowledge is safety, knowledge is happiness. He, what is he saying exactly? Okay? But th this, this tendency to assume that if I acquire all this knowledge, if I go get a you know, doctorate degree in feminist studies, then I've, I've, I've achieved the pinnacle of power and knowledge. You know, this is such a prominent human proclivity, apparently innate in our nature, that it actually manifests at every level of society, across the full spectrum of religious and political 
beliefs. And I just, you know, kind of a bedrock, for example, you know, if I'm standing around bullshitting with my beer drinking buddies, the conversation might revolve around the mysterious mechanics of some high powered machine, <laughs> you know, and the man who displays the greatest depth of knowledge about this mysterious machine will then assume a certain air of power. His knowledge may wow his friends and exalt his ego, temporarily raising his social status, at least until the beer wears off. And all the buddies realize, wait a minute, you didn't know what the hell he's talking about. You know, that was a 350 short block. He's talking about a 454, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. Okay. It's a silly example, friends, but it just demonstrates how, you know, how pervasive, you know, and sometimes subtle this manifestation of this assumption of it's embedded in our nature is, you know, it's out there all the time, but more relative to the political analysis, when we look at the academic eggheads as a prime example of a class of people who have no doubt amassed a great amount of knowledge, right? And then complete with that great amount of knowledge comes complete with the corresponding degrees of arrogance. I've got a PhD for, you know, such and such, and I'm super smart. No, you're not. You know, you just gained a bunch of, you know, knowledge. But is that knowledge accurate? Is it good? You know, it's naturally assumed that the more degrees you have, the more powerful they become. You know, the academics are so knowledgeable and so powerful. You know, they are much more powerful than the mere ignorant peasants such as myself. Indeed, friends, it may appear as if these self-ascribed academic elites have obtained more power via the attainment of some impressive credentials, maybe an Ivy League piece of paper, you know, but have they really gained any power? Have they really gained any knowledge? You know, underneath the belief that knowledge is power, there is a foundational assumption that generally goes unchallenged, and that is the question of whether or not the knowledge is accurate. Okay, the, to, to the inflated egos of the academic elites, it doesn't really matter if their knowledge is accurate or not, because they've spent countless hours being steeped in feminist gender or environmental studies, because they've amassed a great amount of knowledge about queer theory and critical race theory and other liberal theories. And then because of this, it's now assumed that they have the power to change the world. Through their knowledge comes the power to change the world. And the thought that their theories, i.e. their knowledge, doesn't actually reconcile with reality that never crosses their minds. Never. They never think for a second that I've got all this knowledge, but it might not be true. It might not be accurate and not might not be real. And so what we're kind of digging at here is discernment, you know, but for those whose arrogance blinds them to their own ignorance, they assume their knowledge has, you know, uh, it has no holes in it. For example, they don't, they don't realize what they don't know. And that's, of course, the great majority of the human population, friends. I'm not, I'm not judging and saying that I'm, I'm immune to this. There are days when my arrogance blinds me to my own ignorance. So, but as a whole, as a class, the academic elites holding them up as an example, they're a great example you know, of how the knowledge acquired becomes sort of an invisible cage. They've got all these degrees, but they have no discernment. Okay. They've gained the knowledge. Now they have this mental illusion that they've got all this power that they don't actually have. Now they cannot think 
beyond the boundaries of what their knowledge tells them is true. Does that make sense? That's the invisible cage. They can't think outside of the box. And though this knowledge may make them feel powerful relative to the people in their own social circles or those in society that they judge as less knowledgeable, you know, aside from them being able to bully more humble individuals with their misplaced confidence, you know, you meet ever meet a PhD say uh, a PhD in sociology or something. Oh man, they are so smug and condescending because they've got it all figured out, but they don't, you know, uh, but they can, they can kind of bully people around because they've got all this confidence and this haughty air about them. And those who hold themselves with this holier than thou attitude really have no power whatsoever. Unless of course we, uh, uh, or an individual lets them, you know, get away with assuming that they have this power. Anyway, friends, all they really have are illusions, illusions that can be shattered by piercing by the piercing power of absolute truth, which I believe does exist. Okay, illusions that dissolve in the light of spiritual awareness when the mind is thoroughly reconciled to natural reality and divine truth is revealed. <laughs> <laughs> Friends, I, I know, you know, forgive me if I had a philosophical romp here and I'm touching, you know, I'm, I'm playing, you know, loosey goosey here with uh, with natural reality and divine truth. OK, if I just want to put out a little scripture here, you know, if anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault. That's James, the book of James, chapter one, five out of the NIV. Now, uh the King James version says gives to all liberally without reproach. Okay. So I'm talking about natural reality and divine truth, but I'm doing it without uh, invoking religious construct. Okay. We don't need to talk about it from that lens because that just shuts down the conversation for a lot of people. And the truth embedded in what I'm getting at here is, is really more important than bickering over religious beliefs, if that makes sense. At any rate, moving on, you know, the mind is the master of the body. Okay, the spirit is the master of the mind. Now, this ancient truth has, you know, been passed down. It really permeates many different cultural traditions, basically all of them. And this is precisely why communism demands that its devotees declare themselves as atheists. Mind is the master of the body. Spirit is the master of the mind. So if you take away the spiritual aspect of it, then you just have the mind, you know, the patterns of thinking driving patterns of behavior. And that's what's necessary to institute communism. Now, this is also why the global elites have declared that we are soulless, hackable animals. They want us to get over the idea that we have a mysterious soul precisely because this mysterious soul happens to be the seat of wisdom and discernment. If one remains ignorant to the spiritual faculties endowed by our creator, to the latent spiritual potential, to the spiritual awareness that's embedded in every fiber and cell of our being, if we remain ignorant or unaware of that, then there is no hope of seeing through the illusions of the mind. And this is why the global cabal's concerted effort to transform human consciousness is so damn evil and pernicious. They're trying to convince people that their soul is hackable animals, that there is no higher authority. They would have us believe that, uh, no higher authority in the state. They would have us believe 
that we are merely material beings, that there's no higher power than that of the collective, that all of these things, you know, everything's relative. It's subjective. It's open to interpretation. If you identify as a man, even though you have a vagina, that's okay. If you identify as a woman, even though you have a penis, that's okay. It's all relative and subjective and open to interpretation, you know? And quite unfortunately, quite remarkably, honestly, they have conditioned the masses to believe this stuff, this crap. They've conditioned the masses to believe that the truth can only be validated through expert consensus. There is no natural reality or divine truth. The only truth is what the experts tell you is the truth. And of course, anyone who still has their right mind can quickly discern these assertions are just an utter farce, you know. But Alas, my friends, this is a dwindling percentage of the human population. Discernment is lost upon the masses. What luck for the rulers that men do not think, says Adolf Hitler. What luck for rulers that men do not think, says Adolf Hitler. In a book titled Mass Control, Engineering Human Consciousness, it was authored by a guy named Jim Keith, uh, he, that's where I got that quote, what, what luck for rulers that men don't think. Anyway, in Mass Control, Engineering Human Consciousness, Jim Keith rightly points out that the agents of the world's elite have long been engaged in a war against humanity. It goes back centuries. Okay? And he pinpoints greed as the driving factor of this global elite. He says, quote, a greed so pervasive that it encompasses the planet and all the beings on it, period, end quote. And he then goes on to really emph emphatically make the point, quote, in recent times, a philosophy has been used to justify that greed. It is the philosophy of mass control that ultimately aims at dictating every aspect of human life, even remodeling man's perception of reality and himself, period, end quote. Now, friends, if you've been with me on this journey of learning, then you've heard a lot of this before, uh, this, this idea of dictating every aspect of our lives and remodeling our perception of reality and all that. And it's always exciting to me to come across, you know, the earlier writings. This was written in the late 90s uh, from more astute thinkers. You know, I'm learning it, but it confirms what I've just recently been discovering for myself. And it always feels like a confirmation of sorts, you know, like my study and my line of inquiry are on the right track. And I'm not just chasing rabbits. I'm not just wasting time. I'm not just losing my effing mind here. You know, I'm learning and I'm gaining accurate knowledge, which gives rise to actual insights that have a positive impact on my personal life and the world around me and allows me to say the commies are taking over the world. <laughs> I just had to squeeze that in there and I can say it with accuracy, knowing that it's true. Now, as we've discussed at length, the global elites are striving to dictate every aspect of our lives. That's what the Great Reset and the Sustainable Development Goals are all about. And it's been disturbing to learn how this secret cabal has long been using the tools of psychological warfare to manipulate public perception and transform human consciousness. They are, in fact, remodeling both our sense of reality and our sense of self. Just like they're defining what news is and what news means, they're defining what it means to be a human being. Just as transhumanism seeks to perfect humanity, 
by augmenting our biological vessels with tech enhancements that maybe make us stronger and smarter and more immune to disease and death, you know, so too does socialism, communism, Marxism, progressivism, collectivism, Socialism seeks to perfect humanity by conditioning cosmopolitan peasants to be global citizens who are assimilated into the collective hive mind. This, of course, is how they intend to end hate and end discrimination and racism and inequality and all the stubborn tendencies for human beings to disobey and express their own in unique individuality. You know, they got to do away with this unique individuality. I just noticed the time here going to go just a little long, friends. The crux of the socialist premise is that humanity is flawed because our thinking is wrong. And if they can just control our thoughts, then they can control the world. Hence, the re-engineering of human consciousness. Friends, it's no small thing to re-engineer human consciousness, you know, by controlling the narrative. They control the language. By controlling the language, they control beliefs. By controlling beliefs, they control behavior. By controlling beliefs and behavior, they control the neurosynaptic processing of life experience. As in, friends, they control and rewire the brain literally per neuroplasticity. Okay, And by doing this, they do gain total control over the population. And here's the twist. Knowledge is power. Those who control the flow of information wield enormous power over both our personal and public perception. That much is clear, friends. But Jefferson said that knowledge is power, knowledge is safety, and knowledge is happiness. So what is he trying to tell us? And as I've been spending countless hours on a tractor, not countless, you know, hours and hours on a tractor, I'm tearing up my yard and getting ready to put in some retaining rocks and do some decorative rock and this and that. Anyway, I'm spending hours on the tractor contemplating this phrase, and it occurred to me that one's sense of power one sense of safety and one sense of happiness are all inner resources. It comes from within. And thus, the knowledge of one's self, when accurate and reconciled to reality and truth, this is the ultimate source of power, safety, and personal happiness. Friends, for more reasons than I have time for today, I believe that this is the truth that will set us free. This is the anecdote to political insanity. It is an elevation of individual awareness and a reclamation of human consciousness that must be rooted in the realizations that we are, in fact, spiritual creatures, friends. And that is the message of my heart for today. Friends, thanks for indulging my philosophical romp. We're going to uh, resume the political discourse on Monday. Uh, if you're enjoying this podcast, please take the time to find that little heart on the website or the Substack app. Click that heart and give me some love. Subscribe if you have not subscribed already. And of course, the greatest honor of all is if you share this podcast with everyone you know. Get out there and embrace the rest of this fine, fabulous, fantastic Friday. Have a wonderful weekend, friends, and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon.